Hello, and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. My- Joe! Oh, uh, Libby? You, you turned me on. I, you knew you, you know you did it. Did, did I? Yeah. Oh, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I didn't mean to. You know, I think we just all need to be a little more careful about accidentally turning each other on. You know, mistakes can be made around here, oh, and it's... There, you did it again! Oh, God. Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a spooky good time talking about all your favorite uh, horror movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what have you? What? What? What the hell? What the hell? <laughs> what the hell? Well, tonight uh, we're going to be talking about Rick Sloan's most famous film, Hobgoblins. And as you've probably guessed from the intro, we're going to be talking about the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version. So don't feel like you have to go and watch the, uh, the original. Although Tubi not only has the original and the MST3K version, they have it on uh, Elvira as well. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, I so. um I forgot about Tubi and I watched it on uh, on uh, YouTube. Still <laughs> just just as good. So the YouTube is out there as well if you're not uh, Tubi fluent. Yes, you should be though. I uh, because actually a lot of uh, Rick Sloan's other movies, including all six Vice Academies, are on Tubi. Oh, Vice wow. Academy is pretty funny. So we, uh, we were planning our next Christmas creeps this week, and uh, the movie we were going to watch was on Tubi last week, and then today we it pop, we popped up and got ready and said, oh wait. It's gone from Tubi now. What the fuck? No. Uh, but we found it other, in other places, so it's all good. Good. Uh, but yeah, this is our Halloween episode, everybody. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween from us, all of us at the OST party. Yes. Uh, this is going to be a fun one, I think, because Hobgoblins is a very strange movie, and the soundtrack is equally strange, but well worth talking about. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily on the level of uh, Forbidden Zone. <laughs> But uh, you know nothing what? Nothing is. <laughs> yeah, no- nothing really is. But Hobgoblins is is fun enough in other ways, and less racist. Much less racist. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but before we get into that, we've got a poll we have to uh, finish out from our last episode. Uh, we asked you what was the best song on the Karate Kid soundtrack, and with eighty one percent of the vote, "You're the Best" by Joe Esposito won that poll. Pretty obvious. like Yeah, I think so. I think we all knew that was coming. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, Survivor's The Moment of Truth had 11.5%. And it's then, the better song. It is. And then uh, Young Hearts, 7.5%. That's the one I voted for, everybody. I think that might have been the one I voted for, too. Wow, really? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I got two votes. And then a No Shelter, <laughs> a staggering zero votes. Aww. Everyone figured out really quick, it's not the Rage Against the Machine song. No, uh, some people didn't quite get that. You know who you are. Oh, yeah, they know. They don't care. (laughs) None of them care. So, uh, yeah, after this episode goes up, we'll be putting up a poll asking you about uh, Hobgoblins. So look out for that on our Twitter, at OST Party. Now, we have to forego um, billboarding school because (laughs) there's no stats for any of this. (laughs) I have nothing to say about it. All I can say is that Hobgoblins was technically released July 14th, 1988, the same weekend as Die Hard. I think we know what is, which, which one is the better movie. Hobgoblins? Heck yeah. Okay. I was going to go with America Had a Choice, but you had to go straight to Hobgoblins is better. Whatever. Straight to Hobgoblins. <laughs> Whatever. So, Libby, for the uninitiated, what the fuck is Hobgoblins? Well, Hobgoblins uh, is, to to some, a Gremlins ripoff. But to those of us who know better, it is a Gremlins knockoff that has a musical number in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, it does. So it follows the adventures of Kevin, an assistant security guard, uh, who accidentally unleashes a set of little creatures 
who make your dreams come true and then kill you. And he and his frigid girlfriend, Amy, her slutty friend, Daphne, Daphne's dumb boyfriend, Nick, and their horny red-shorted friend, Kyle, uh, have to go through downtown and kill each one of the hobgoblins before it's too late. Mm-hmm. Now, did you know that somebody wrote a song based on this movie? No. Not the Fontanelles, which we'll get to shortly, but somebody actually wrote a song based on this movie, and I'd like to read to you a stanza, uh, uh, some lines from this song. Are you ready for this? I am ready. <clears throat> okay. Come join the Warner Brothers and their Warner sister, Dot. Come for the fun. <laughs> just, just for fun, we run around the Warner movie lot. They lock us in the tower whenever we get caught, but we break loose and then vamoose. And now you know the plot. <laughs> this is Hobgoblins is the original Animaniacs, right? It kind of is. <laughs> Take that, Hulu. That was <laughs> that was my takeaway from this was that the plot of Hobgoblins is that the Gremlins from the movie Gremlins are real and that Warner Brothers keeps them under lock and key so they don't wreak havoc around town. That makes sense. And Animaniacs is also a Warner Brothers property, so they're all connected in one way or another. <laughs> Absolutely. Rick Sloan saw this and they tried to silence him. Mm-hmm. I hope he's getting some of that sweet Animaniacs money that Hulu's been throwing around. I hope so, too. I actually uh, had correspondence with him for a little while. He's a very cool guy. Really? Very sweet. Yep. I found his email somewhere, and we wrote back and forth for a little while. Um, just a, a nice guy. He's like, you know, because my thing with this film, I did first see it on Mystery Science Theater 3000. That's probably where most of us know it. Yep. And I I genuinely like this film. I mean, it's goofy, but I I enjoy watching it. And... I wrote to him and said, you know, I, I really like this movie a lot. And he's like, you know, most people don't write to me and say that. <laughs> so, I mean, I know that like the mystery science theater guys have, have like regularly said, this is one of the worst movies they've ever covered. It's like, really? You guys watch monster a go, go. Yeah. You're the guys who rediscovered Manos, the hands of fate. So you guys, yeah. you don't really get to say that hobgoblins is that bad and it's not that bad. It's actually a lot of fun. Yeah, it's pretty funny, and it moves along at a somewhat brisk pace. It does. It's. I'm not going to say mercifully short, but it is quite short. Mm-hmm. You know, it, they have, uh, I think, made up with Rick Sloan. He said he was quite mortified by the end, but he offered the film up himself. Right. And he's a big fan of, like, schlocky monster movies and has always been a B-movie director. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But... He said, you know, he, he thought they went a little far at the end where they made fun of him. But later, I uh, yeah. wrote some articles uh, for different uh, anthologies about them. And, you know, I, th- I think has, you know, gotten in on the joke, which makes me feel better. Yeah, but I mean, it's still, I mean, and stop me if I shouldn't jump to the end of that episode, but... Uh, Serbo does try to go back in time so he can murder Rick Sloan. That's well, he goes to kick him in the shins. Well, I mean, his plan <laughs> is to murder him, but what he winds up doing is kicking him in the shins. No, because remember he says like, uh, "Yeah, I kicked him in the shins." He's like, "Oh, I thought you murdered." He's like, "No, God, I hate guns." Oh, that's the joke. Okay, he had a gun though in that scene. Oh, I know, and that's that's the joke. Oh, okay. is it? He thinks he went back and murdered him, but he actually kicked him in the shins. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I have this episode memorized. I, I, I'm glad that I'm glad we have the world's foremost expert on hobby goblins <laughs> on this podcast tonight. I really am. It's me. It's Libby. So, um, so when we talk about this one, we are going to reference the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version because we're going to talk about some of the the skits because they have a musical number. There's mm-hmm. a lot of musical references uh, throughout. They actually, uh, there's two musical sort of themed skits, including the opening, where they reference uh, Robert Palmer's I Didn't Mean to Turn You On. Yes. So, um, which we could talk a little bit about that song if you'd like. We, we could, yeah, if you want Yeah, to. Let's, let's play a clip of Robert Palmer. I didn't
I didn't realize that this was like one of his like famous dancing ladies videos until I watched it. Yes. I and I knew he had done like three or four of them. I didn't realize this was one of them. So like, man, his, he really had a type in the eighties, didn't he? Yes, he did. But also, it's it's different from the Robert Palmer I'm used to hearing too. So I'm used to yeah, you know, the addicted to love. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on other Robert Palmer. Simply songs. irresistible. Simply irresistible. That's the one. Yeah, where it's it's very like guitar heavy and kind of like weird dad rock. And this is like dance pop almost. Mm-hmm. So uh, now this was originally performed by Sherelle in 1984, but uh, oh. two years later, Robert Palmer's version sort of fared better. Mm-hmm. And what I like about this is there's a certain arrogance. <laughs> to a dude being like, whoa, I didn't mean to turn you on. Like, with a woman, again, there's always that that sort of threat where it's like, well, you shouldn't have been wearing that. But for some dude to just be like, whoa, if I'd known I was going to turn you on, I wouldn't have worn these skinny jeans. I wouldn't have worn this very dapper suit. Yeah, I didn't. How could you? How could you think that of me? I didn't mean to turn you on. When I left the house this morning, my intent was not to turn you on. <laughs> so, and of course, in the skit, uh, they have introduced the concept of accidentally turning someone on. Yeah. Uh, and so they're just going around the satellite of love, accidentally turning each other on. And then Mike has that great line, there's there's a lot of accidental on-turning going on around here. <laughs> Everyone just needs to be a little more careful. That's right. Um, so um so what what are your turn-ons joe well the smell of freshly baked bread always does it for me for some reason i thought you were gonna say shrimp i don't know i don't know man it sounded like you were about to say shrimp yikes i mean i i know i do live in like low country boil territory but come on some of us have standards okay (laughs) i don't know like maybe you like drive by a red lobster to like hello baby Shrimp Fest is back. Okay, then, smart guy. What, what about one of your turn-ons, huh? <laughs> Guys in Chelsea boots. Fair enough. You know what? I get it. <laughs> yeah. Can't explain it. There's a second skit that follows this where uh, Pearl has bought a new couch, and she sends it up to the Satellite of Love, telling them not to jump on it. And we see Mike Nelson in a onesie. Didn't need to uh, see that. I know, but like I, Mike is my favorite host, and I know that he has been accused of having some conservative and somewhat problematic views. I, um, I still think he's so cute. Like I love him. I will always, yeah, like, always. I don't, I don't love even care Mike about Nelson. like his his personal whatevers. Just the sight of him in a onesie. Like, nope, no thanks. <laughs> no, I was still. I wouldn't say I was turned on by it, but I wasn't turned off. Um, but there's a bit where Crow goes upside down and says, "You can see my legs." And to underscore how much this movie meant to me, there's a photo of me on my bed as a teenager with my legs in the air doing that exact same bit. Like, you can see my legs. (laughs) (laughs) So it just amused my sister. Now, once again, the sight of Crow's legs, very upsetting to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's like seeing Kermit the Frog drive a a bicycle. I don't need need that in my life. (laughs) You just can't accept him as a sexual being i don't i don't like it when the the illusion is broken for me okay <laughs> we'll have to do the girl in gold boots one of these days mm. mst3k was a very musical heavy show i don't think they get enough credit for it i mean i i had friends in high school who who sang these songs a lot so if i had been yeah. your friend in high school i would have been in that group mm. i sing these songs all the time that would have gone very poorly i can i can, <laughs> I can picture that now yeah so we open the film with McCready, yes. who is the security guard. And he is trying to get Dennis, the assistant security guard, to pay attention. Dennis is too busy uh, fake drumming mm-hmm. and listening to his Walkman. And they are guarding an old movie studio. Now, despite McCready's warning not to go into the vault... Uh, Dennis goes into the vault because he is an idiot. There, there is conspicuously a bank vault in the middle of this movie studio. Yes. Um, and he goes in and there is a stage all of a sudden. 
And he doesn't actually sing. He just kind of struts around. Uh, Crow sings a bar from uh, Road to Nowhere by the Talking Heads and references John Parr's Man in Motion. Mm-hmm. St. Elmo's Fire theme. And when he goes to stage dive, he dies. Yes. And, <laughs> and I noticed here... The song that's playing, like, while he's kind of fake performing is the exact same song that he's listening to on his headphones earlier. Yeah. I so. could not identify this song, but I noticed that it was the same. I think it's just sort of a generic riff. And there's, like, a so. couple of these um, that is not the Fontanelles. Yeah, it's just kind of like a generic, like, sort of galloping three-beat dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. <laughs> yeah. kind of rock song. It's 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 like... It's like uh, the elevator music version of uh, Iron Maiden's Run to the Hills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I can hear it. So, um, next thing we see is our hero, Kevin, who is played by uh, Tom Bartlett. And he is all excited to be a security guard. And he's ready to take notes. McCready tells him it's not that hard, but again, warns him not to go into the vault. At the end of it, he goes home to his shrewish girlfriend, Amy. Oh, God, Amy. Amy is the <laughs> worst. And is Amy played by Kelly Palmer? Do you have to? Amy is played by Paige Sullivan. Now, it should be noted that none of these people ever worked again. Um, uh, IMDb says that Amy did music for a funnier dice skit in 2010. That's it. Oh, good for her. <laughs> um. Wait, were they in, all in Hobgoblins 2, or did they hire new people? I think they hired new people for 2. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Um, she is there with her friend Daphne and their friend Kyle. Now, Daphne is my favorite. I love her. <laughs> she's great, and all, she's the best and also the worst. Yeah. She is, I guess, supposed to be, like, the slutty friend. Mm-hmm. But see, I don't see her as being slutty. Because I think, because she's, what? She's quite devoted to Nick. I mean, she has some fun when Nick's out of town, but I mean, she's just kind of fun and, you know, a little loose. Yeah, but and it, it, it's, it's all painted kind of in, in good fun, you know? And she's really no worse than anyone else in the film, I don't think. Yeah, except for Amy, who's a super prude. And I... Uh, well, for... Uh, yeah. Well, uh, Kevin brings home a video. And he says it's for her and Amy. Or, sorry. He says it's for him and Amy. Daphne grabs it out of his hand and scoffs, saying, My boyfriend never rents me anything without at least a single X ray. <laughs> Just like my favorite line in the film. Because <laughs> her line read of it is so weird and funny. So. It reminds me of that one scene in King of the Hill where Hank and Peggy are like having their anniversary, and he and Pe- and uh, Hank comes home and says, "I bought an R-rated movie," and Peggy gets all excited, and she's like, "What? What was it?" And he just goes, uh, "Platoon." <laughs> no, I want to know what the video is. I know, yeah. He is very insistent that it's like it's for the two of them, but it doesn't have a single X rating. I'll bet it was one of Rick Sloan's other movies. I bet it was Vice Academy. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Nick comes back, and Nick is her dumbest shit boyfriend. He's in the army, and they have a rake fight. <laughs> a rake fight. I love this scene. <laughs> so, Man. do you want to talk about the rake fight, then? Yeah, Nick is, ba- is su- supposed to be, like, trying to show... Um, Kevin how to fight and he's like pick up that rake and they start like jousting like it's American Gladiators and then all of a sudden he just like knocks uh, Kevin to the ground and basically threatens to kill him something like that something like that it's very like brutal and strange and then uh, all the while Daphne is just like cheering him on and as soon as he <laughs> as soon as he takes out Kevin they, they go hop in the van and the van starts rocking yeah it's in the background rocking and meanwhile Amy is just like you really embarrassed me Mm. And again, it's what because I'm not an army. Yeah, and it it you again you see like that Reddit relationships post like my twenty male girlfriend nineteen female says that I don't make her happy because our friend beat a, me beat me up in a rake fight. Can this relationship be safe? Like, 
have some self-respect, man. Am I the asshole for not being in the army? Yeah, for not winning in a Casio soundtrack rake fight. <laughs> so, um, a burglar later breaks into the studio and he scares him off into the vault. He's very sad. He's like, I wish Amy could have seen that. And But when he goes into the vault, alas, he unleashes the hobgoblins. The hobgoblins! <laughs> now, they, what they do, as McCready tells us... I let the creatures live on the lot. It was my secret. And then I learned of the power they had. I still don't know if they figured they were doing good for people or not. They would find a person, tap into his brain, and then create his wildest fantasy. It seemed harmless at first. I mean, watching everyone around me becoming rich or famous. But for most people, what they really want in life can be very dangerous. In fact, the creatures wound up destroying everyone, everyone they came in contact with. And that right there is like when people compare this to or say this is a ripoff of Gremlins, you, you can say like, well, the Gremlins don't like make you hallucinate and kill you for that. Yeah. This is, it's, it's actually like a pretty good spin. So I'll mm-hmm. give them points for that. Yeah, exactly. So it's a good movie. It's a good movie, everybody. <laughs> no, it's not. Yes, it is. No. Don't listen, don't listen to the, Joe. This is the secret B-side to this episode. No, it's not. <laughs> this movie's great. So um, Kevin now has to go find all the hobgoblins. Well, they're attracted to bright light. And apparently the only bright light in the whole neighborhood is at Kevin's house. Of course. Nope, he's having a a, a rave, except Kevin's house, apparently. Yes, and they are playing some super generic, lyricless music on a really nice yellow vinyl. Yeah, I wrote in my notes, this is random placeholder pop music that sounds like the Muppet Babies theme. (laughs) It does sound like the Muppet Babies theme. (laughs) But here's what I like about Daphne. So they have, you know, they're tapping into her wildest fantasy, and it's her boyfriend. That's kind of sweet. Yeah. She hears, she thinks she hears his horn. She goes out to wait for him. He's not there. And then the hobgoblins attack her Mm -hmm. and she rolls around with a puppet for a little while. Oh, and then straight up murders one with a rake. Yes. Daphne is a badass. Is it ever established how many hobgoblins there are? I believe there are five. Okay. That makes sense. So, uh, yeah, because there's one for each each teenager. Oh, okay, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. See, it's a good movie. <laughs> um and the hobgoblins get inside the house and Nick does eventually show up with the idea to like blow up the house. He shows up with a grenade. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't say that you know Rick Sloan's dialogue is <laughs> He's not a genius comedy writer, but he's got some, like, you know, snappy, again, sort of, like, USA late-night level one-liners. Um, one of them, I don't, can't remember if it's Amy or Kyle, says, like, well, what's that? Is he about to throw the grenade in? And Daphne replies, urban renewal. Like, that's snappy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this isn't... It's not the kind of accidental humor i think that a lot of mst3k films have like there are deliberate attempts at humor i'm not saying they always land but you know some thought was put into this yeah this movie is at least a little bit self-aware not yeah not to say that it knows it's a bad movie but it, it knows kind of what movie it's supposed to be playing as yeah it knows that it's a it's a you know late night to be b movie and I think that's what it really wants to be. So you're so you're suggesting that Rick Sloan predicted the future and knew that Tubi would exist. He did. He would. He's a good dude. I believe. Uh, so meanwhile, we learned that Kyle is a phone sex junkie. Yeah, this is odd. <laughs> well, again, it's something very 80s. Yeah, that kind of thing just doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Where you you just call up. Like, you'd see it on, on late night TV at, like, 2 in the morning. You'd see ads for, like, I don't even, I can't even name a thing now. Like, uh, 
sensations or something. Yeah. Called S-I-N, and it's like, call hot girls now. So Kevin calls up one of these. Yeah, and you clearly see that she's just, like, a mom in, like, a wood-paneled room. <laughs> just some lady sitting at an office desk. Yeah. And she spins a weird story about an iguana. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> and, what? Um, but the hobgoblin gets in and and, and uh, infects his brain, and all of a sudden the um, the phone sex lady says something like, "Why are you wasting your money calling me here when I'm outside waiting for you?" Yes. Now, fun fact about this actress. Um... Oh, the act. The character's name is Fantasia, which is great already. Yes. So a woman named uh, Tamara Clatterbeck. Clatter Buck plays Fantasia. They originally wanted Angeline. Huh. But Angeline wouldn't play a character. She didn't want to play. She only wanted to play herself. And she didn't want to memorize any lines. Oh, wow. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's. I, could, I, guess, I can see how that would be a uh, deal breaker. Yeah. So they said no. And they got this woman, uh, Tamara Clatterbuck. And again, I think there's a, this film does not explicitly say that it takes place in LA, but wanting Angeline is a very LA thing. And when we actually do, we are going to talk about the Fontanelles, I promise you. We're just painting the picture. Um, how entrenched they were sort of in the LA scene. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of little LA markers within this. Um, now, a couple things about Kyle. Uh, she offers to take him to Reputation Road. <laughs> and I think Kyle's very sweet here. He seeks active consent because he asks, do you kiss on the first date? She tells him she goes all the way on the first date. Um, and he opens the car door for her. You know, for, for a weird phone sex line dialing horn dog, Kyle seems like an okay dude. Yeah, and I... Part of me wants to believe it's because Kyle has called this person on this number so many times that, like, he doesn't want to mess this up. Yeah. You know? He's very excited about it, which is good. Again, like, he's not he's not a jerk about it. He's no. quite sweet. Now, I dated a guy that looked a lot like Kyle when Yeesh. I was 17. Yes. He broke my heart, oddly enough. And I think about that every time I watch this. Like, I got my heart broken by a dude that looks like the guy from Hobgoblins, which <laughs> definitely humbles me. You have to take stock of, of yourself after a thing like that. Yes. Well, I will post a photo of him, and I'll let you decide. Did he wear, uh, did he wear uh, crappy pink shorts? He did not. However, one year, my sister did buy me a pair of red shorts as a joke. Oh, uh, because of Hobgoblins? Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, this is one of our favorite episodes. Oh, okay. This is my sister Hillary. Um, there's a joke earlier on where they sing a song, uh, one of the famous lines, it's the 80s, do a lot of coke and vote for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> and Hillary made me a card that said, it's your birthday, eat a lot of cake, or do a lot of cake and vote for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, my sister was amazing at making cards. Mm. And that was the year, actually, she bought me Mike Nelson's Mind Over Matters, which is a collection of essays, which, if you haven't read, is fabulous. Mm. Very, very, very funny. So, But also in this scene where um, Fantasia takes Kyle out to Reputation Road, her, her, and when I say her, I mean the Hobgoblin's plan is to push him, push him in the car over a cliff. <laughs> it's very convoluted. Yes, uh, because he seems to think that that's what sex is. Yes, because he's just sitting in the car. Like She's like, close your eyes, and she gets out of the car and starts trying to push the car. Yeah, and he's like, do it to me, baby. (laughs) I adore Kyle. Now, they don't know where Kyle went. No, because they're asleep at this point, right? Yes, but Kevin gets the idea that maybe he's at Reputation Road, and he asks Amy, where's Reputation Road? She, well, obviously, she doesn't know. She's a prude. So he turns and asks Daphne, and she gives very, very exact directions. Yes. <laughs> I genuinely love Daphne. She's my favorite. Daphne knows what's up. <laughs> so... But again, so this film, I think, is really sex positive in that way that sort of 80s movies were. Mm-hmm. Like, because we saw this in Earth Girls Are Easy as well. 
again, this sort of sunbaked California, like, sex is fun. Yeah. Because this doesn't have that, like, sex is death uh, that we're, we see in a lot of horror movies of the time. That's so. tr- No, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. But if, it, yeah. if that were the case, then the, the quote-unquote final girl, I guess, would be... Amy. Uh, uh, I don't know. Kyle. <laughs> it would be Kyle, yeah. But yeah, it, it has a very, you know, kind of lightweight attitude towards sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's open and honest without being, like, cavalier about it. Mm-hmm. So, and then it's fun, and we want to, you know. Yeah. It's too bad about Kyle, but, you know, the, the sort of joke is, yeah, that he's a nerd who can't get laid. Of course. But he's not angry about it. He's no. just going to keep on trying. He just accepts it and, and moves on. Yes. And that's so, um, But meanwhile, while they're all looking for Kyle, Amy sees an ad for club scum, girls <laughs> appearing nudely and nightly. <laughs> club scum. And when he comes back with Kyle, Kevin asks, where's Amy? And Daphne says, oh, she said something about going to club scum. And off we go. And here we finally get the first Fontanelle song. Here's a Love Me Not. Let's go to a clip. So tell us a little bit about the Fontanelles. Now, the Fontanelles uh, are sort of the house band for Hobgoblins. They have uh, four songs on the soundtrack. Now, they are an L.A. sort of new wave, dark wave band with uh, Spitzola on vocals, uh, Pat Bostrom on guitar, Mark Hodson on bass, Tony Cicero on drums, and Cole Coates, reading this from the liner notes from the Hobgoblin soundtrack uh, for the 20th anniversary special edition that Rick Sloan sent me personally and signed. Nice. Yes. So the Fontanelles get made fun of a lot because of a song we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But they were not a band that was just assembled for this movie. They were actually quite popular on the L.A. club scene at the time. Yeah. They only had one EP, which had the songs uh, Kiss Kicker 99, Passion Kills, and Lose My Head, two of which are in the film. Uh, this album, because it, was, it wasn't a major label, uh, you can occasionally find copies of on Discogs. Currently, there are two going for $69 a piece. Oh, nice. Shut up. It's the nice price. No, somebody already made that joke. I know. (laughs) Okay, let me revert to my other joke. Oh, man, that's a lot of money. (laughs) Now, uh, Spingola had also been with the band Outer Circle in the early 80s, uh, who had another uh, album, self-titled debut, which you could also find a little cheaper, but wasn't you know wasn't poorly received they never made a major label although he ended up playing with a lot of other bands including uh shauna hall in a couple different bands uh she was in four non-blondes oh wow yes he was in a band called the alcohol of fame with her uh 1993 to 1995 Mm. Okay. So, um, you know, they've, and they just played a lot of, um, little bands, um, you know, just kind of session musician kind of stuff, but he still plays. Wow. And, and right. was not, not an unknown on the LA scene is what I'm trying to say. Now, as, as someone who is really not familiar with the Fontanelles at all, even before having seen this. Uh, I can best describe their style of music as if the Misfits knew how to play. Yes, that's is exactly what they sound like. Yeah. Now, for me, the highlight of 
Love Me Not is, I think this best showcases what they do, which is they construct their songs out of a lot of literary and fairy tale allusions. Um, and also other other musical illusions. So we've got uh, in this one a reference to Jezebel, obviously the biblical Jezebel. Mm -hmm. um, Maybelline, as in maybe she's born with it. And Susie Q, uh, which was a rockabilly song by Dale Hawkins and also a snack cake. Uh, with, <laughs> and a shout out to Bruce Willis uh, on the bridge. The tramps like us were born to lose. You know, they kind of skew that. Which I love. Oh, okay. My favorite uh, note about this uh, song, uh, I forget who says it in the MST3K episode, Mike or Servo or Crow, but one of them describes the song as chord, 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 <laughs> other chord. <laughs> and that's pretty perfect. That's pretty much it. Yeah. My husband uh, riffs that a lot. <laughs> so. Incidentally, that's also how Talking Heads Road to Nowhere goes. See? Um, at Club Scum we meet the bouncer, Road Rash, who's played by Dwayne Whitaker. Now, a lot of people recognize Dwayne Whitaker uh, as the pawn shop owner in Pulp Fiction. Yes. I knew I knew had seen this guy yep. before. And then when I looked it up, like, oh, of yep. course, there he is. Yep. He's also in The Devil's Rejects and does a lot of, you know, TV sort of bit parts. Oh, yeah. he's in, It looks like he's in, like, every Rob Zombie yep. film. That makes sense. Yep. And okay. I, I love, yeah, that he's also in Hobgoblin. So, again, he makes that sort of, like, B-movie. Uh, yeah. We also have uh, Darren Norris playing the MC. Yes. Now, Darren Norris has voiced somebody in every cartoon ever. Yes. Uh, a lot of his early work is, like, dubbing English voiceovers for anime series. But, like, you know, he's he's um, Cosmo on the Fairly Odd Parents. He's, like, one of the leads in Team America World Police. He just has one of those voices that you, that you've definitely heard everywhere. And when I found out that he played Vincent in Cowboy Bebop, knocking on heaven's door, it was like my world collided. Oh yeah, I was just like, yes, all good things. Um, he was also Cliff McCormick on Veronica Mars, <laughs> and I remember watching Veronica Mars and be like, I know that guy from somewhere. And I looked him up, like, holy shit, it's the club scum MC. Proof that there is life after drama club. Yes, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, then we get to our big number, of course, which is Kiss Kicker 99, which is played in its entirety. Now, let's let's go to a clip of this one. You all know this one. As, um, as my girlfriend Nikki uh, called it, Lint Liquor 99. <laughs> Kid Snickers. <laughs> pig Liquor. Is that liquor distilled from pigs or someone who licks pigs? Oh, God. Again, this was kind of their most popular song. This is on their self-titled EP, which if anybody wants to buy me, I would very much like that. And I get why this is, is would be their most popular song. This is, it's a very fun one to kind of uh, sing along to. Yeah. Um, and again, it's got that real uh, dark wave mm -hmm. kind of uh, sound like the Misfits. The closest thing I always think of is The Cure. I can hear that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, and you hear that a lot more on um, uh, some of their other songs. But, um, you know, I you kind of wonder, did being in this movie wreck them it's entirely possible yeah so because like I, I, I could see this movie being the kind of thing that's like notorious but in a bad way like people seeing this and going oh geez who made this we realize now that it's definitely earned it's like cult classic status but at the time i don't know i don't know that a band would want this kind of heat to be honest yeah i know that he was this is according to to rick because i had written to him and you know talked how much i love this soundtrack and I think he said that uh, Spit was really embarrassed by what happened with Mystery Science Theater 3000. I think Ooh. he was really hurt. So, 
Now imagine an alternate universe where this was the Misfits, <laughs> and then all, and then they're featured on Mystery Science Theater. Glenn Danzig would still be like locked inside his house. He would not <laughs> come out. Ah, <laughs> but and it's it, again, it's too bad because I think these guys, you know, I think they're they're talented. I think their music is good i listen to this frequently i oh yeah like i said i really love this band yeah a lot Um, a lot of it's very fun i enjoy it a lot so um this one i like but i think love me nots is actually a better song Mm. this one's just so weird and abstract um i do realize in watching this scene and in watching uh spingola I sort of dress a little bit like him or did for a while like the like jacket the kind of like bulky jacket over uh skinny jeans with boots hmm. and a beret. So huh? I sort of dress like John Paul Sartre and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> and then um uh, we have Amy's fantasy. Yes. Which is to strip on stage. <laughs> to just become a stripper at club scum. Which, you know what? Honestly, I get. Because she wants to be admired. She wants yeah. everybody to look at her. She, Yeah, she wants to be noticed and not ogled, but appreciated. Yeah, she wants to feel sexy. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, anyone who's seen my Twitter knows that, like, I kind of feel that. It's clearly, <laughs> you know, something I enjoy. Um, so I get it. And I, you get the sense that, uh, she feels like she has to be a prude, Mm -hmm. but she's secretly like a wild girl. And that's kind of a common, uh, probably kind of male gazy trope. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I can, I can understand that. Like the, uh, wanting to see the girl next door type, you know, break out and, and be a little more slutty i guess that's yeah a common thing yeah and the uh, you could tell that mst3k is very much you know at that point they did have bridget jones and they had mary joe peel but the way the guys talk about amy and her sexuality is definitely mired in a a repression of female sexual expression but it makes them clearly uncomfortable. It's a very like late nineties Midwestern kind of yeah vibe. That's exactly what it is. And but... especially like in in the same movie where you know you've you've got already got Daphne in the background who's you know jumping all over her boyfriend at any moment, and then all of a sudden Amy comes out and starts doing the strip tease, and they're like, "Uh, whoa, what's going on here?" It's a little weird double standard. Well, but they're they definitely call. Daphne, you know, they they say, like, they have a joke about, like, oh, slutting's fun. Like, they're pretty crude about her as well. Yeah, that's true. And it's definitely, again, like you said, it's mired in that sort of Midwestern, like, like, women shouldn't be so fast. Mm -hmm. So. We we don't, women don't act like that down on the farm. Yeah. So, um, and and it just comes out of, like, a weird fear. And I, I think it's may be a generational thing it may be um, a religious upbringing thing i know a lot of men of that age who are like that mm-hmm. so i don't take offense to it but if anything that is what has aged the most poorly about this this episode yeah. because they they are pretty harsh about female sexuality it makes them uncomfortable mm-hmm. so. and also at the same time i can recognize that, like we're looking back at the 90s and saying how repressed that was and then they're in the 90s looking at the 80s and going wow these they were really uh open and loose about these things so it's it's it is you're right it is kind of generational i think mm-hmm. so at maybe in 10 years somebody will listen to this podcast and go they're completely wrong about that episode about that movie yes now the part that again it feels real like a man definitely wrote this is when Amy is saying like, you know, treat me like dirt, you know, spill your drinks on me. Like, okay. Yeah, Getting okay, a whole weird male area there. That's a little, like, okay. That's clearly somebody's kink and we'll just, let's move on 
let him have it. Let's move on. Yeah. So, but again, that's, and I think it goes to like, I don't want to say rape fantasy, but like that was very big in like Cosmo at the time, like sort of, and it comes, I think out of, you know, women rising in the workplace. It's like not quite a BDSM thing, but that I remember like reading that kind of thing in like my mom's Cosmo. Like the, the the kind of people who are just now like discovering that kind of thing and going, ooh, wow, this is new to me and 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 uh, exciting. Yeah, is she really any worse than what's her face in Fifty Shades of Grey? Yeah, no. So, but also we we have to remember what movie we're in, and it's unclear where Amy's like just natural desire to do this ends and where the Hobgoblin's influence begins. Well. Because in my mind, Amy was going to do this anyway, but then the, it's the hobgoblins that are like influencing her, like, oh, yeah, treat me like dirt because they're hobgoblins. Well, it's awful. her fantasy. Right. And, um, and I think she, because she says, you know, when the spell wears off, she's like, why am I dressed like a rock video slut? Mm-hmm. But then when the guy outside of the club is like, hey, I liked what you were doing up there, she's like, I don't know, it's the first time somebody had looked at me. So, you know. So, yeah. I think, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of thrilling. But um, we get two more fantasies in here. <laughs> oh, yeah, we do. We get Nick's fantasy, which is to blow shit up. Right at that moment, his commanding officer, like, walks into the strip club. He comes in and goes, oh, I heard Pixie was on tonight. And then um, the Hobgoblins, you know, make Nick hallucinate. And he's, like, on a on a rampage and just blowing things up, throwing grenades everywhere. And his commanding officer says, like... This is the best training he's ever going to get. Yes. Um, and meanwhile, uh, we got the second Fontanelle song, which is Hey Ride to Hell. So let's, yes. let's play a clip of that. some questions about this one yeah well so when we were putting this episode together you had sent me a few of these songs because i couldn't find couldn't get access to them and of the ones you sent me this was by far the one i enjoyed the most it'd be good for a halloween party mix oh totally yeah because like what's better than a haunted hayride at halloween (laughs) but also some of the lyrics again i couldn't quite make a lot of them out but some of the lyrics i thought were very odd because like at one point they say um Something to the effect of Tobacco Road, you're right at home. <laughs> okay. Which, okay, I guess. But then me living in central North Carolina, Tobacco Road means something very, very specific. And I don't know if they know that or if they're just talking about um, ha- the, the place where haunted hayrides must be, you know? Maybe. Or uh, Reputation Road didn't fit in the lyrics. That's true. Because in Central North Carolina, Tobacco Road literally means the basketball rivalry between Duke University and UNC. Okay. And I don't think that's what this song is about. Hmm. Interesting. Unless it is, in which case, that's awesome. So. It's a haunted hayride about a ba- at a basketball uh, stadium. Cool. Great. Let's nice. do it. Can we socially distance? Yeah, why not? So. Um... Okay. Now, this one is kind of my least favorite, because I feel like it never really gets going. It it is kind of a slow... It's it's a slow burn, I'll Mm -hmm. say that. Yeah, I mean, I I enjoy it. Again, put it on your Halloween mixes for, uh, you know, whatever dance party you're having. Yeah, sure. But, um, you know, meanwhile, a commanding officer throws a grenade at Nick. And presumably to get Nick out of the picture so he can have Daphne. Now, uh, for all the jokes we've made about Daphne's promiscuity, she straight up murders the guy, who turns out to be a hobgoblin, of course. Um, uh, because he murdered Nick, or he set Nick on fire. And, you know, Nick dances around completely engulfed in flames for a very, very long shot. It's almost funny. Who am I kidding? It's hysterical. Um, it's amazing, yeah. But she she gets mad and she kills the guy. And yeah, he turns out to be a hobgoblin. 
Um, and they chase one more back to the studio, and Kevin gets his fantasy, which is about murdering a burglar. <laughs> yes. So. Which, which I honestly thought, when the burglar shows up, I honestly thought the burglar was Nick as a burglar. <laughs> and I thought it was just like his, his fantasy was to find some excuse to murder Nick. Which should make sense. Nick is pretty awful. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't kill him. But McCready does. Yes. And then McCready saves the day. Yes. It turns out McCready got fired. And so he blows up the vault with the remaining hobgoblins in it. Yeah. He says, uh, did I ever tell you what I did in the war? Munitions. And he blows the fucking studio up. Yes. Um, We then learn that Amy will have sex with, uh, with Kevin. And, yes, because uh, they finally realized something about each other. Yeah, sex-positive film. Um, Kyle tries to make it with the now-widowed Daphne. Uh, Nick does come back, and they jump in the van, which rocks behind them. And uh, <laughs> Kyle has to go back to phone sex. So, well, that's Hobgoblins, it's, everyone. It's, it's kind of like a sitcom where everything goes back to the way it was. yes. Um, and we got one more uh, Fontanelle song, which is uh, Passion Kills. Passion Kills, yes. yes. So let's go to a clip. This is also on their uh, self-titled EP. Now, this one, I feel like, best emphasizes the sound they were sort of going for and kind of known for. It's the best example of it. Um, It's got that dark pop guitar line that is very reminiscent of The Cure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like a Love Cats in Between Days era. Robert Smith. And if I feel like if these guys had been over in the UK, they would have had a deal with either Electra or Sire or, you know, a label like that. I think they would have made, I think they, they would have been able to be on a major label. Yeah, basically if they had been anywhere, but Los Angeles at that point in time. Yeah. And cause it just wasn't big enough over here. Yeah. So, um, you know, these, these guys could be heirs to something like Joy Division. They fit right in there. If you, if you sit down and listen to them, they don't sound any different than any other dark wave band yeah, that was and popular you kinda, then. And you kind of just assume because they're in this movie that's, you know, famously bad, that, oh, they must be bad. No, they're actually not. Yeah. <laughs> they're really quite good. And there's, a, there's two more songs on their album. I'm not sure where you can get the album. You can find all of these on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. As I said, I, my copy uh, came from Rick. Um, there's also a song called uh, Son of a Gun and another one called Lose My Head, which was the third song on their EP. Um, and, uh, he... the, other one you, the other one you sent me was called um, Shoe Fly. I yes, believe. that's right. Um, Shoe Fly is not in the film, but it's also another really, really good song. Uh that I like a lot. Um, so I would love to see, and I'm kind of surprised someplace like Mondo hasn't done this. I would love to see a legitimate reissue of the Hobgoblin soundtrack. Ooh, yeah, definitely. So I think my copy is just like a CDR. It has a label, but it's it, it it's not professionally done. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's a rights issue or, you know, where this all exists. But Hobgoblins has enough of a cult following. Again, there's three versions of it. There was a remake called Hobgoblins 2, which is a, a straight remake that is not very good. Um, you, you, know, you can't catch lightning in a bottle twice. Yeah, they, they, like, completely recast everybody, yeah. too, right? Yeah, and you're not going to beat Stephen Boggs as Kyle. I think there's enough of a cult following that you could issue this for, say, Record Store Day. Whether you issued it, you'd probably want to issue it as the Hobgoblin soundtrack. 
uh, yes. just for name recognition rather than the Fontanelles. There is another band called the Fontanelles, but they're not this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, the movie, at least, has been you know released on uh, a couple of different formats since then. I think the Blu-ray right now is from uh, uh, from Vinegar Syndrome, and there's a whole a whole like list of special features that come with it. And I'm surprised that the soundtrack didn't get included on that. Mm-hmm. So. so that's kind of been the thing lately is like these boutique labels will put out this gorgeous set for a movie that no one cares about or remembers. And they'll throw on the soundtrack sometimes just because why not? You know, yeah. but so. Hobgoblins apparently didn't make the cut. No. And as I said, it should. It has, again, that notoriety, that sort of midnight movie flair. Um, I think for a time Rick Sloan was doing screenings. Of his movies, like, as Midnight Movies mm-hmm. in L.A., which I would love to see. He's actually, aside from being a nice guy and a cult movie director, one of the foremost experts on Archie comics. Really? Yes. Huh. He has written, you know, introductions and things on different Archie uh, collections. That's amazing. Yeah. Like I said, he's, he's a really, really cool guy. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the, um, like, screenshots of the Blu-ray for Hobgoblins right now, and it's so much more crisp and clear than the crappy YouTube MST3K rip that we watch. <laughs> you can actually see, like, the detail on the Hobgoblin, like, puppets, mm-hmm. and how they're basically, like, a cross between a werewolf and a green skeleton. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I might need to pick this Blu-ray up now, because I kind of want to watch this in, like, full HD glory. And I believe that... When Elvira did it, he, like the Hobgoblins, made an appearance and he puppeteered them. Oh, nice. So I haven't watched the Elvira version, although I may have to. So Yeah, we'll have to track that down. We'll put it, if we can find it, we'll put it in the show notes. Yes. Um, it is on Tubi. Nice. So. Okay, good. Yep. All nice. three versions are, are available. So uh, we, again, I can't sing the praises of Tubi enough. Uh, I believe Cool World is also on there. Mm-hmm, yeah. So you can check out, uh, if you haven't watched Cool World ahead of our, uh, I think it was like our fourth episode. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, you can, you can catch up on some old movies and uh, catch up on some old episodes of the OST party. Yeah, I think um, the, the great thing about Tubi, though, is that it's it's got such a wide range of just stuff. I mean, there's there's like big Hollywood movies, but also there's like, you know, random TV and just crap that no one remembers but also you know some really cool you know cult classic kind of movies too yes it's it's a wide swap of just about everything it's the closest thing we have to going to the video store it really really is netflix ain't got shit on tubi Mm -hmm. agreed like i'm looking at my list the stuff that i've saved that i want to watch later i mean i've got everything from uh shark attack 3 megalodon to gorgo to return of the living dead part 3 to uh, P.D. Waitstraw, the devil's son-in-law, to... <laughs> I'm just going to keep going here. Um, have you put joysticks on there? I have not, but I should. Yes. Uh, you should definitely put Chopping Mall on there. That's a great movie I for be- Halloween. I believe that is probably on ours. Uh, so, yeah, the bench for Tubi runs very deep. It's great. You can spend a whole evening just flipping through Tubi. In fact, my husband sometimes does. Mm-hmm. And, like, half of the movies we've covered on Christmas Creeps are on Tubi. Oh, God. Oh, Bone Alone is on Tubi. Oh, my God. I can't recommend that one enough. Oh, boy. It's Home Alone, but with a dog. That did was, did not go where I thought it was going to go. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's Hobgoblins. Thanks for sticking with us through that. Yeah, happy Halloween, everybody. Yes, indeed. So what are we doing next week? Yeah, uh, next time on the show, we will be doing another one of our On the Fives episodes, and that means we'll be covering TV theme songs. Oh, boy. So come on back for that sometime in November. Um, but until then, um, we'll, we'll have the poll up for this episode as soon as this show goes up on Thursday. We encourage you to go to OST Party on Twitter and vote in that poll. But uh, until then, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. You can listen to me over at the Shattered Shield podcast. Joe, where can they find you? 
Uh, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm back on the gram at Cordial Wombat. Or you can listen to me yell about Christmas movies on the Christmas Creeps podcast at Christmas Creeps. So, good and, deal. Yes. And if there's anything you'd like to email us, letters or comments or requests or what have you, uh, you can send those to ostpartypod at gmail.com. Yes, indeed. Please like and subscribe to the show and tell a friend because we want this to, this party to grow and we want people to have a great time talking about soundtracks with us. So please, tell a friend. Let people know that you love this podcast and you want to share it with them, won't you? Thank you. Yes. Click that bell, <laughs> we would say, if this were a YouTube show. So for the OST party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. <laughs> <laughs>